Hi, I'm Chuck Quinley, and welcome back to Thread, episode 107. Thread, God's truth tying together all the pieces of your life. Thread is the broadcast of Dr. Chuck Quinley. Thread. Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Thread Podcast. This is a podcast for leaders. If you're a leader at home or on the job or in a church or a nonprofit organization, or you just want to be a leader, you want to be somebody whose life influences others more than being influenced by them, this is a podcast for you. And in order to be an athlete, we've got to eat like an athlete. And so we're trying to put good spiritual food in front of all of us on our leadership journey. And there's no better place to find it than in God's Word. So we go verse by verse through the Scriptures looking for leadership lessons that we can see manifested through the strengths and the weaknesses of the people we encounter in the pages of Scripture. My goal is to strengthen you and to broaden your mind and to help you also understand that God's Word is a light to us. We you know, thank God for all the books out there. But these books are our business, and uh, there's zillions of books, and they just keep on coming. 3,000 new books every day are being published, but God's Word has been there for 2,000 years. So let's don't look to others until we have looked deeply in the Scriptures, because we will find answer after answer in the pages of God's Word. Well, today we are going to talk about when good friends in the ministry disagree and their disagreement goes to the point that they can no longer work together, even though their work is for the Lord. And that is so ironic, and it is an embarrassment to Christianity. And we witness thousands and tens of thousands of denominations and churches that were, a lot of them, not birthed out of a happy home, but birthed out of pain, as brothers and sisters disagreed to the extent that they felt they could no longer continue to work together, and so they establish something new uh, with their point of view. And that's basically what happens today in the book of Acts. We're going to be reading from Acts 15, verses 36 through 41, and learning some lessons there. Now, because this passage is so short, I'm just going to read it out loud to you uh, from the Scriptures. I'm reading the New King James Version. Then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us, go, let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Now Barnabas was determined to take with them John called Mark, but Paul insisted that they should not take him with them, the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And then the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another. So Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Well, let's unwrap this, because if this hasn't happened to you, and I hope it never does, but it's part of leadership, because leaders are hard-headed and leaders have passionate um, beliefs not only in God, but in their own uh, way of doing things. And they tend to believe that they, they know what is the best. And sometimes you get two 
strong leaders yoked together, and you know, if they don't have uh, individual turf that they can rule over, sometimes this is really just a recipe for disaster starting. And Paul and Barnabas, we've watched their relationship for many years now. You know, it was Barnabas that brought Paul into the fellowship of Christians. Uh, and we have watched Barnabas lead Paul off on the first missions trip. But then we saw that in times of conflict and in situations where you needed a, a fighting person who was a great public speaker who could debate under pressure, um, you know, that's where Paul stepped up and Barnabas backed off and let Paul lead. And then there's times in the Jerusalem council issue where tensions are high and everybody is, you know, like a little too agitated for Paul's style and Barnabas steps forward and Paul steps back and lets Barnabas take the lead. And the scripture, you know, keeps alternating between calling them Barnabas and Paul and Paul and Barnabas. And uh, so now at this stage, uh, we see these two brothers, they've worked together for so many years, but now they come to a a parting of the ways uh, over pastoral care. It's the strangest thing to fight over. You know, like you, could, you could think of lots better reasons for them to have had a debate, and uh, I don't know what to say about it, except this is one more reason for me to trust the Scripture, because this is one of the most famous interpersonal events in the whole Bible, but certainly in the book of Acts, and it's, it's there due to Luke's candor. There's just no spin, and I, you know, I believe the, the New Testament so much because it doesn't try to cover things and, and make it look nice, and you know, you know, here's Luke. He's a dear friend of Paul, and this is a, a public document that he's creating, and yet he does not edit out this part. It needs to be there. Uh, the emphasis on the New Testament church in the New Testament church was not on building an image so that others would believe the best thing about you. You know, their focus was on God and what God was doing. They knew they were just humans, and they made lots of mistakes, and they also learned some amazing things at the same time. And so this record is there to guide faithful seekers of God, and I'm just so glad that Luke left this in. Um, we, you know, already read the circumstance. They decide to go back and they both agree that that'd be awesome to go back and visit all these churches. It's been many years now since they've been there, and they want to go back and see these churches again, make sure everybody's doing okay. Barnabas, verse 37, typically, is a nurturing person. You know, the, the nickname that the apostles gave him was son of consolation because he was such a nurturing man. And so he wants to bring Mark. He knows that Mark failed them last time, and we're not told at all what happened. We don't know why Mark left. They both agreed that Mark shouldn't have left, but Barnabas is, is people-oriented. He's about nurture. He's about restoration, and Paul is task-oriented. And this is usually where the two, you know, this is oil and water. And you get some brothers that are built by God, some sisters, they're built by God for task. And they get a lot of things done, and they move, the, uh, they move their ministry ahead or their company ahead or even their family or their nation ahead. But, you know, sometimes there's a little loss of blood along the way, and they, they push and they shove, and they, they're just kind of a fierce competitor. 
And then you have other people that they're, they're very willing to accomplish less in life. They are feelers. They're more concerned about the impact of their actions on other people. And this is a classic thinker versus feeler uh, exchange. And this happens in the world all the time because uh, you know God has made about half the world to be feelers and the other half to be thinkers. And we need each other because we each can show each other something that we're missing. Um, you know, it was, like we said, it was Barnabas's nurture gift that had brought Paul to Jerusalem in the first place and to Antioch, where they were having this argument. Uh, but Barnabas was a lot less driven, and he did not have such a wide vision that Paul did. He was not typically a fighter, although he does debate, and he holds his position when it is important to him, as in this case. Barnabas was an edifying, people-focused, pastoral care man, and he fights to give Mark a second chance. Uh, he, wants, he wants Mark to face the same challenge that has defeated him before. Now, another little side note that we should note from Colossians chapter 4, verse 10, is that John Mark is the cousin of Barnabas. So there's a little family loyalty here as well. I think Barnabas would stand up for anybody, but he's definitely going to take the side of giving his nephew a second chance. He doesn't want to see him a broken young man. He believes that he has a lot of potential in the ministry, and he wants to see him strengthened. Uh, This is not a doctrinal dispute. These two have no disagreement whatsoever over Jesus and God and the Scriptures and salvation. They have stood shoulder to shoulder and fought for the gospel. Uh, This is just about task versus people. Paul was fiercely focused. He's willing. He's able to endure any hardship for Christ. And it seems strange, though, in this case, that he was so unwilling to give Mark a second chance when God had given him a second chance. But, you know, maybe Mark had been a daily drain to him on the last trip. Maybe Paul felt that way too much energy is being wasted on uh, Mark's emotional state and keeping Mark up. I don't know. I don't know what it was about the mixture of Paul and Mark that didn't go well. But in verse 38, the scripture says Barnabas was determined, and it says Paul insisted. And they decided in the end that their wiring and their personal makeup was just too different. They could love each other, they could support each other, but they could not work together, especially on this missions trip. And uh, verse 39 we have to see as a really sad day, because these two brothers have, have been together all these years. And uh, now to watch them part company, uh, you know, we have to take it as a, as a failure, as a human failure. They just didn't work at consensus long enough. And one or the other of them was just too stubborn to give it the time that it needed before they took off on their trip. You know, now, you know, who was right? Well, on the one hand, you could say Paul was right. He judged it rightly that he needed a partner as vigorous as himself. And with Silas uh, working in sync, Paul walked a journey that left a long line of new churches across Asia Minor. Uh, Large numbers, much larger numbers, big, fierce work ethic, 
uh, pulsing and growing, thousands of people being reached, pastors trained, fruit everywhere, fruit from Antioch to Athens. And you can also say, well, no, Barnabas was right, because Mark becomes an important figure in early Christianity. And Paul himself writes in 2 Timothy 4.11 from his imprisonment, asking Timothy, who's become a friend of Mark, to find Mark and to bring him to Rome because Paul says, Mark is useful to me in ministry. You know, Mark wasn't like Paul. Mark had other gifts. He was a writer and he probably wrote the first gospel. The gospel of Mark is, as far as we can tell, the first gospel written and thank God for it. He recorded for all of us the words and deeds of Jesus Christ. And the other Gospels, uh, at least uh, Matthew and Luke, are largely written with his sort of on the table. They're filling in, they're seeing it uh, from different perspectives, and they're adding some things, but they tend to kind of follow along with the way that Mark laid it out. And I hate to think what Christianity would be like today if we didn't have any record of the words and actions of Jesus, man, that just frightens me to death. I mean, Mark became Peter's assistant, and he ministered alongside Peter until Peter's death. And Paul, uh, I'm sorry, Peter calls Mark his son in 1 Peter 5.13. So Mark had a really important role in early Christianity. So, you know, both of these men had the right goals in mind, they just weren't patient enough to work this out. And I wish Luke had recorded the reconciliation of Paul and Mark, because there was a reconciliation. You know, at the end of Paul's life, or at least at the end of his writing life in 2 Timothy, as I mentioned, he's asking for Mark. He wants Mark. He's got dozens of acquaintances and ministry partners, but Paul requests Mark. And, uh, you know, I don't know at what point who sought who out for apology. Did Paul apologize to Mark? Did Mark apologize to Paul? I don't know. But in Colossians, we find Mark ministering with Paul while Paul is under house arrest. Now, according to Jerome, who wrote in the 300s, Mark took his gospel. He went to Alexandria, Egypt. He established the church there. And he modeled it after the Jerusalem church, where everybody shared all their things in common uh, and where they met regularly for fellowship and a serious study of God's Word. So Mark you know, comes to be a man who is a powerful minister in his own right. Uh, you know, and and there have been times in my own life, as, as I look over this story and I think back over it, where uh, I haven't handled a situation properly. And uh, in terms of a transition, uh, maybe you pass leadership to somebody else, and now they're leading something that you gave birth to, and, and there's just lots of sticking points. If you, didn't, if you don't have a written, almost a written agreement of how you're going to handle these things, and then if you both don't stick exactly to the agreement, staying together so closely when two of you are leading at the same time can really be problematic. You know, uh, I would encourage you, if you're pastoring a church and you're going to, or anything else, and you're going to pass that on to another leader, you need to leave, you know. Um, find you your new place, go to your new thing, but to kind of hang around there in the store 
while the new leader is trying to find their legs. You know, there are times that you can't, you, you almost can't avoid doing that for a little bit. But in the long term, you need to move on because uh, we need the space. We're, we're humans. We get insecure. And we need to, um, we need to have our own zone uh, in order to grow. Uh, another thing I would mention is if you've got real tension between you and another person, don't put that in writing. If you really feel like you have to share your heart with somebody and, and something they've done has frustrated you, you know, Paul wrote The Letter Kills, and a written letter of uh, anger is really a very poisonous thing. If you were looking the person in the eyes, I can promise you, you would not speak as sharply as you will if you just write it down. So if you've got something negative to say to somebody, and there are times we do have to face each other and say, hey, I don't understand why you're doing this and it's starting to affect me. Can we talk about it? Talk it out. But if you use words and if you're looking each other in the eye, you're going to soften that tone. You're going to see how it is affecting them. And you're going to be able to alter your message a little bit so that you can get the things said that you need to say um, without, you know, without hurting that person and hurting that relationship. If all you do is write a letter, you know, that's just not going to work. Now, if you got something wonderful to say, please put that in writing because people save these things, and sometimes they make reference to them years and years later when they need encouragement. So negative things, you say those face-to-face. Positive things, you put in writing. Uh, I've had some circumstances before in my, in my life where I felt like someone actually split people off from our group and intentionally competed against the unity of our group. And, and yet that person was still very close in proximity to me, and I just didn't know how to go forward with our relationship. I knew you know, eventually uh, that person moved on and did something else under their own leadership. But it, the, what I knew was if we were absent from each other for too long, although the thing had been done and I didn't like it, and I really felt like it was a wrong, if I let a large amount of time lapse, my heart began to harden up about this person. You know, what, the one thing we cannot allow ourselves to do is to become bitter in our spirit and to let our frustration go down into anger and anger become hatred because hatred is poison. You know, somebody said uh, hatred is like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. It just gets inside of you, and it just rips you up, and it's going to stop your anointing, and you're not going to be able to go forward. And I was determined not to let this happen to me. And so Sherry and I just pursued this other couple over and over again just to have social times, have coffee, have meals, and don't talk about any of that other stuff. We, you, know, you can't go back and fix it. And uh, they didn't see it the way we saw it. And so it's just, let's just stay close to each other. And if, as long as we could stay close to each other and keep, um, keep social, uh, I, I never wanted to work with this person again, and I, I, don't, I don't think I could work with this person. But I could be a brother to this person, and I could, I could keep my heart from closing off. And it was really important that I did that, and it was important for my own spiritual health. And it was important, too, that others who were around watching the circumstance could see that we were, you know, both sides of this uh, disagreement, we were working diligently as brothers to try to develop some kind of workable relationship 
between the two of us. Now, knowing what we know about Paul and Barnabas, I don't believe that they hated each other, and I don't believe that they spoke evil of each other, and I don't believe that they gave each other the cold shoulder. They just knew they couldn't work together. You know, Paul, um, Paul and Barnabas at this stage rightly discerned that their partnership and the work that they've been doing for so many years was for a season, and that that season was now finished. The second thing we can pull away is that they, they avoided unnecessary conflicts that would have continued to spoil their unity. They both needed their unity, and they both knew that if they, you know, if they didn't give, give themselves each a little bit of space to work, they were probably, because they were so different in nature, that they were going to just continue to have little conflicts that was going to eat at both of them. Uh, third thing, I believe that they continued to trust each other as brothers. You know, Paul wrote that in 1 Corinthians, Paul writes that Barnabas deserves to be supported financially due to his ministry. So that Paul would encourage a church in that way, you know, it just tells me how good he still feels toward Barnabas. And, you know, they worked it out personally. It's not recorded as to when it happened, but we know it did. They were grown-ups, and they behaved in a grown-up manner. Uh, we're going to notice later, uh, as we move into chapter 16, that Paul avoids going to the places where Barnabas is headed because he does not want there to be confusion or awkwardness. He wants to give Barnabas the respect that he deserves to have a, a territory to go into and do pastoral care. And he does not close the door for Barnabas to come to any of these other churches. They're, they both planted these churches. They both love these people. And they recognize that there'll be a season when they'll each rotate and they'll be in all these different churches because they did not feel any sense of ownership over the church. This was God's church. What they wanted to be was good, mature elders feeding good spiritual food to God's children. Well, uh, conflict is just part of human life. It happens every day, and I would really encourage you to make use of tools like the um, Thomas Kilman Conflict Inventory and learn what your conflict skills are and where your weaknesses lie. But most important, keep your spirit in check. Don't allow your heart to get bitter, and keep in mind that we are in the kingdom of God. We don't own any of these things. It's not my church. It's not my ministry. It's not my anything. You know, this is God's work, and it is His to, to pass even to other people if He wants to. So uh, let's be makers of peace. Jesus said the peacemakers are blessed by God in a great way. And you know, peacemaking, <laughs> well, I can't leave without talking about that for a second. Peacemaking is the hardest thing I've ever done. Peacemaking to me means that I didn't do anything wrong. It's the other person, and I. but it won't go away, and they won't fix it, and they won't apologize, and this thing can't—we can't move ahead on this. It's just petty. It's personal. They're pouting. They're insecure. But I cannot let this linger in the air. I have to settle this and go face this person. And so I have to take the initiative. I have to go to them. I have to be humble. I have to do everything I can do without, you know, like lying and taking every bit of blame on myself, but also watching every little word I say to them because the tone, they're going to be listening for everything. And to go to that person and work to have reconciliation and peace and forgiveness, I have to be the one to do that. And so I just think it's such an important thing to do and 
Don't forget, table fellowship. You got to keep eating with people that you've had trouble with. You got to keep having coffee with them. Uh, keep spending time eating food together. It just does something to you. It, it, it builds a bond, and that's important. Well, let me just ask you to do a couple more things. If you're enjoying the Thread Podcast and we're working hard to make this a good podcast for you, would you leave us some questions? Just go to quinley.com slash questions and leave us your question on the voicemail there. Also, if you'll go to the iTunes store, you can do that, quinley.com slash iTunes and give us a rating. We really need those so others can find it. It makes the search results pop us up quicker. Uh, if you want to recommend the the podcast of your friends, you can just go to quinley.com slash love and show us some love on Facebook. Tell some people about the podcast. So thanks again. See you next time on the Thread Podcast and expect God to use you. He's going to use you this week. Go out there with big faith, expecting God to use your life to influence others. Thread is the broadcast of Dr. Chuck Quinley. Log on to Quinley.com.